Our second reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from chapter 3, the first 12 verses. Let us listen for the Word of God. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Say a word of greeting to those who are worshiping with us this morning by way of live streaming. We thank you for being a part of our a cyber audience, if you will, and invite you to come and join us in person when and if you're able to do so. The prophet Isaiah, he has been called the eagle among all of the prophets, the evangelist of the Old Testament, the messianic prophet. Surely no prophetic book is quoted more often in the Gospels or in the entirety of the New Testament than the prophecy of Isaiah. He has this book that really connects and binds together the Old and the New Testament. And we hear this book over and over again every liturgical season in the time of Advent. Isaiah's remarkable and inspiring vision of a coming king and of his kingdom finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. At least that is our conviction as Christians Last week, the Old Testament lesson was another wonderful vision of Isaiah when he envisions beating swords into plowshares, instruments of warfare into instruments of peace. And today we're looking at this other magnificent vision called the vision of the peaceable kingdom. Here we are told that a descendant of David is coming to the throne. He will soon be born and will usher in a new realm the realm that God has longed to establish upon the earth. And in very moving and poetic imagery, the prophet describes what the Lord is about to do for his people, and not just for his people, but for the whole creation. Writing nearly two centuries before the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, before the death of the last king Zedekiah in exile, 
Isaiah has this wonderful vision, and he tells of, yes, the line of David will be cut off, but a stump will be left in the ground, and a shoot will come out of that stump, and it will be of David's lineage as well. And what is different, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and counsel and understanding and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear. He will not judge by appearance or hearsay. He will defend the poor and those who are exploited in life. He will rule against the wicked and oppress those who oppress and deal with those who oppress uh, the helpless. He will be clothed, according to Isaiah, in fairness and in truth. And in that day, in his image, in his vision, The wolf will lay down with the lamb, wild creatures getting along together. Children are not harmed in playing even with poisonous snakes. It's a vision of the peace and the justice and the calm and the harmony of this golden age that God intends to usher in. The wolf will lay down with the lamb. I told our men's Bible study this past week that Woody Allen's take on this is, yes, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, but the lamb won't get much sleep. (laughs) I don't know if that's the case. But uh, at any rate, we have this magnificent vision. No harm, no hurt in all of God's holy mountain. People will get along. Animals and people together. The environment will be protected. All will be for the glory of God. The nations will come and rally to this place. It will be glorious. What a vision Isaiah gives us. And I think it would be fair to say that no other prophetic imagery has so captured the mind and the imagination of artists throughout the generations than this vision from the 11th chapter of Isaiah. If you're using your Advent devotional guide, as I hope you are, then tomorrow's uh, lesson will contain a modern rendering of the peaceable kingdom by John August Swanson. You have contained in your bulletin this morning another rendering of the peaceable kingdom. I imagine you have seen this on one or more occasions throughout your life. It's popular in this Advent and Christmas season. It's the artist's understanding and image of what this kingdom will be like. I don't want to shatter any illusions here but the Messiah the king that Isaiah imagines 27 centuries before Christ is radically different I imagine than the king you and I see as coming 21 centuries after Christ Isaiah really believed that the coming king would be an actual human ruler on the throne of Judah. You see, every time a new king was crowned in Judah, the people were reminded of this golden age that God had promised when the world would be at harmony. People would be reconciled. The whole environment would reflect the goodness and the glory of the Lord. And after the defeat of Jerusalem and exile and the death of the last king of David in his line, Zedekiah, this hope, this promise was transformed transferred rather from a king of Israel to the coming king to the Messiah that he would usher in this new realm 
And as Christians, that is what you and I believe, that Jesus Christ in his own person and work is the fulfillment of the hope and promise of Isaiah, reflected in this vision and in others. I doubt that Isaiah could have imagined, any more so than Jesus' contemporaries in the first century, that the king would be so humble, so lowly, and yes, even so human. One of the artists that uh, rendered this in his works, Edward Hicks, is that's the image in your bulletin this morning. It's a fascinating tale about this painting because he, he only painted one scene in his whole career in the 17 and 1800s. But he did about 100 different versions of the peaceable kingdom. Every one of them is different from the others. And there are only about 62 that are still in existence. So if you want to go through your attic and see if you can find any image that looks like this, you may have quite a treasure there. But as Hicks aged, so did the animals that he portrayed. They grayed just like he did. And if you study each one, you can see something different. You can see children either playing over a cobra's nest or you can see the wide-eyed animals in compassion lying down with one another. In the background, you can see in this version, William Penn entering into covenant with uh, the indigenous peoples when America was settled. Of course, when we see this king in this kingdom, we see Jesus Christ. But I dare say that Isaiah was not in a position to fully comprehend what even he was prophesying in the Lord. And one of his verses here says, And a little child shall lead them. What do you suppose he meant by that? Did he mean that in this coming kingdom in its peace and harmony where no one would hurt or destroy anything or anyone else that even a child, a mere child could be the herdsman because human strength and power would be unrequired. 21 centuries after Christ when you and I read this prophetic passage we cannot help but think of the child in the manger the child of Bethlehem but it's very easy for us to romanticize Isaiah's child but we dare to believe that he is the fulfillment and the hopes for all of Israel and for each of us as our opening hymn said he is Israel's strength and consolation he's the hope of all the earth he's the dear desire of every nation the joy of every longing heart in the Christ child we find not just a child but the king who was promised and has come among us, born to reign in us forever, the hymn writer put it, and we are a part of his gracious kingdom. It'd be wonderful to stop right here uh, in this sermon on this comforting and encouraging note, but you can't because the scriptures don't stop here. And as a part of this prophetic image, as a part of the preaching of John the Baptist, to be sure, that reminds us that there is a truth in these texts from John the Baptist and from Isaiah that sometimes gets lost in the cultural trappings of this holiday season because it's clear in Isaiah's vision and in John's preaching that the occasion of the Lord's return the establishment the full establishment of this kingdom will not only be a blessing but it will be a judgment upon all people the people of God, and indeed all nations of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, says John, and with the breath of his lips 
He will slay the wicked. The preaching of John the Baptist calls for repentance. Not trusting in who we are and whose we are. Not trusting that we are the descendants of Abraham. Lord is able to make descendants of Abraham out of these stones, John says. Even now, he warns, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, those are harsh words. Words of judgment. But they're words that we need to apply to our own lives. Because this babe of Bethlehem who comes among us, yes, he comes to bless and to save us. But he also comes to prune us, to correct us, to challenge us about some of our views and values in life. He is the promised king. And if we're to welcome him, then we need to realize that it's not enough simply to offer him our praises, but to accede to his demands as well. We must recognize that Isaiah's vision was incarnated and lived out in Jesus of Nazareth. And what we have here is more than a vision It is a lifestyle. It is a call to obedience and discipleship. It is an invitation for us to follow faithfully in the footsteps of this Prince of Peace, this King of Kings, in every area of our living. And if we would welcome this child into our lives in this season or in any other, it's critically important that we don't simply admire him or praise him, but rather follow him. And obey him. After all, he is no innocent child anymore. When he returns, he returns as judge and king of all creation. And what he is seeking is not fans, but followers. No one better understood this, perhaps, than this eccentric, baptizing, prophet-like figure called John the Baptist, who calls for radical change in individuals and in societies. He mints no words even to the religious and political folk that ventured out into the wilderness to hear what they call this troubler of Israel, to find out what he was up to. And he told them that time for talk had passed. And he said to them what he says to us still, now is the time for repentance, transformation, and reviewing our values and our visions. The sign of repentance, we are told, is producing fruit that endures. If we hold to the vision, we must share its values. And if your vision of the king and his kingdom doesn't shape your living, if it doesn't shape your giving, if it, then it serves no realistic purpose. It's just some pretty words and an interesting vision. This, this vision of peace and reconciliation and justice And compassion and mutual forbearance doesn't influence your politics or your economics or your personal relationships or your religious affections or your personal stewardship. Then it's just so many other pretty words. They're not shaping your existence, but this vision is rather judging it. If there's no fruit in our lives but only foliage, then according to John, the axe is being laid at the stump of the tree. And we're about to be pruned or judged. And we dare not trust that we are descendants of Abraham. Or that we have our name on the roll of the church. As if that's our guarantee of being a part of this kingdom. What is called for is changed 
allegiances, changed affections, changed actions, changed values, changed commitments, transformed lives, if you will. I told our residents this week uh, over lunch the, of a true story, a young minister friend of mine uh, was asked to leave his church after he said in an offertory prayer one Sunday morning, Lord, in spite of what we say or do, this is what we think of you. Now, maybe that was tactless. Maybe that was harsh. Maybe it shouldn't have been said in that situation. But more sober question is, is it true? Is it true that it's really our living and our giving of ourselves, not just of our substance, that really indicates where our allegiances are and who is the king and the ruler of our lives? Do our values reveal the vision that is leading us forward? I noticed uh, you probably received, as I did, uh, this uh, magazine from High Point University that was in our newspaper a few days ago. I wish two things. One, I wish the church had the advertising budget that uh, High Point U University has. <laughs> But the second thing I notice on here is values and vision. I noticed that last night when I was on the coffee table. Values and vision. The two go together. What is your vision that motivates you, and what are your values consistent with that vision? Any worthwhile organization has a vision and must have values that match that vision. Our vision is of this kingdom. It's God's vision. So we ask of ourselves in closing, do our values in life reflect the vision that we hold to? I hope and pray that it does. And I hope our values are God's values and that the Lord sees that in our daily living. Let us pray. By your grace, O oh God, enable us to see that the child of Christmas who became the crucified king is not only a gift to us, but a judgment upon the way we live too often. Help us, we pray, not only to adore him, but to serve him and to seek to follow him faithfully in, in repentance, in faith, in obedience. May God's vision be ours and may our values be God's. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.